I, I think you, you will all agree with me when I say that uh, in the days in which we live in our nation, the work of the gospel is very, very hard. It's going on, thankfully, it is going on. Uh, 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 and up and down the land tonight, um, congregations have gathered like we have, and uh, preachers have stood in the pulpit and opened up the word of God, and the gospel is being preached. We are grateful for that freedom and liberty that the Lord has still given us, which is not the case for many of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world. But we also acknowledge it's hard work. There seems to be little to encouragement. There seems to be little uh, response to the gospel. You do your work, you, you, you evangelize the best you can. We, some parts they knock on doors, uh, others they give out tracts and so on and so forth. But it is hard and the enemies of the gospel seem to be arranged against us don't they and they seem to be winning that's how it appears sometimes to us and so we become disheartened uh, and discouraged and uh, and we need in those circumstances to find in God's word something to raise our spirits and to gladden our hearts and I, I, I think turning to uh, the Acts of the Apostles is a wonderful way to do that because there we have a record of the beginning of the church as the Holy Spirit descended upon uh, the apostles as they preached on the day of Pentecost and the church, the Christian church, was born. And what a thrilling story that is. Uh, let me just remind you of it because we're looking for encouragement tonight. So let me just remind you how it was on that particular day uh, as, as Peter preached the gospel then uh, at Pentecost uh, and we read then as he preached that uh, on, on that glorious day uh, in chapter 2 verse 41 we read that there were uh, have I got the right reference here there, there were sorry I'm I'm looking at the wrong page in my Bible. It's Acts chapter 2, we're looking at verse 41. We read, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. 3,000 souls were added to them. Just imagine that in one day. Imagine 3,000 people queuing up outside the door of this chapel. Yes, that's what God did on that day. There's no reason why he couldn't do it again. Uh, and, and, and so it continues, uh, as that chapter continues. So towards the end of the chapter, the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved, daily. Imagine if your pastor comes to you uh, next week and says, every single day, Somebody has come to my house and telling me that the Lord has saved them. Um, wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, may such days come again. And so the story goes on uh, in chapter 4. 
Peter and John have healed that lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple and taken the opportunity to preach the gospel. Uh, uh, And so we read then on that particular occasion how many of those uh, of those who believed the word believed, heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about four, about five thousand. Few short weeks after Pentecost and the church is being added to daily. And in chapter 5, again, we read similar words. Chapter 5 and at verse 14, believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And in chapter 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, uh, then uh, on that particular occasion, the church was still growing. The word of the Lord spread. We read verse 7. <clears throat> and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That's how it was in those early days. Like I said, if only such days would come again, but this land has known such times of blessing. Uh, in previous years. It's the same God, the same power, it's the same gospel. We need to be finding confidence in the gospel that we're entrusted to preach, even though it seems hard work. It is still the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. Divine power is in the message that we are instructed to proclaim in whatever way we can do it. Divine power at work. God at work. And it is this that changes lives. And it is this that makes men and women uh, to be saved from their sins. And that's how it was in those early days. But as always, when this happens, and this always seems to be the consequence of great works of God, it's always the case that there is hostility uh, and, uh, uh, and, uh, and Satan is very active. He always is where the work of God is active. Satan is always there, trying to undermine it, trying to bring it down. And so that's what happened in those early days. Peter and John are arrested for their preaching of the gospel, told not to do it again. They defy that, 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 that commandment and continue to preach. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so it goes on, and it comes to a climax after the martyrdom of Stephen, uh, that, that dear servant of God who testified so bravely before the Sanhedrin, uh, and as a consequence, they um, put him to death, stoned him to death, the first Christian martyr. So now Paul, Saul that is, was consenting to his death, that Stephen's death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Uh, and and as, as a consequence of that, so in the verses that we're looking at, now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose after Stephen travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, 
preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Uh, and, and they are, it's a very familiar theme, isn't it? They are, in fact, migrants fleeing persecution. Many of those who are making their way to, and that's a massive problem for the politicians. It's a matter of concern to a great many people, this wave of immigration. But it is certainly the case that many of them are fleeing persecution of one sort or another. It's not true of all of them, probably not true of the majority of them. But some of them are fleeing persecution and they've made their way to a land where they'll find at least trust, they will find some measure of freedom to worship uh, as they would wish to do. And that sort of thing has been the case throughout all church history. And it happened in the early days of the church and it happened as a consequence of the death of Stephen And so here are some who make their way to this city called Antioch. There are two Antiochs mentioned in the New Testament. One is Antioch and Pisidia. It's not the same as this one. This is Antioch in Syria. It's about 300 miles from Jerusalem, so I calculated. So quite a long way, but they made their way there seeking to find uh, ease from persecution uh, and so they, they find themselves in a strange city amongst strange people. Uh, and, and prudence would dictate, wouldn't it? Common sense would say, well, now, as a consequence of us being gospel believers and preaching the gospel, it's brought upon us this, this situation where we've lost our homes, we've lost our livelihoods, uh, and we're having, to, we're having to go to other parts of the known world to find safety. Let's just keep our heads down for a bit. Let's uh, just you know, keep a low profile. Let things settle down. Let the dust settle. And then maybe we can do something for the cause of the... That's what common sense would say. But uh, they, they were not prepared to do that. So immediately find themselves in Antioch they start to preach the word. And that's what the scripture tells us. Uh, And they first of all go into the synagogues to their countrymen. uh, And and that's just the the pattern that Paul followed wherever he went. He went first to the synagogues. uh, But then he moves on to those who are not Jews. But these folk here... Uh, we read some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists. Now, Hellenists were Jewish people who'd adopted the Greek way of life, the Greek language, the Greek customs. Uh, and so they were being uh, presented with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Uh, they came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And as a consequence of that, Uh, And the ministry that took place in the synagogues, many believe. That's what we're told. It's the same theme that we've already looked at as we looked at some of those references in Acts. Many believe. Some of them were men, uh, as I say, who came to Antioch, to the Hellenists, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Uh, 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 and that pattern continued verse 24 he was a good man after Barnabas comes and again a great many people were added to the Lord so persecution far from silencing uh, the work of the gospel actually 
enhances it. That's often been the case in history. The church of Jesus Christ has very often grown at its highest rate under bitter persecution. You read history and see if that's not the case. That's why God has very often chosen to work. And it certainly happened in Antioch in Syria. And the news comes back to Jerusalem. The beleaguered church in Jerusalem, the apostles are still there. I guess their numbers have got much smaller because of those who've had to leave. But the church is still there, and the apostles are still there, and word gets back. Have you heard what's happening in Antioch? Have you heard about our brothers and sisters? They've gone there and and have immediately begun to preach the gospel, and many others are being added to the church as a consequence. It's good news. I guess it was a great encouragement to the church in Jerusalem. Uh, And these sorts of things must be a great encouragement to us. It is happening elsewhere. You know, we look out upon our land and sometimes we we are very short-sighted, aren't we? And we can only look beyond the immediate. But the truth is that there are more Christians in the world today than there have ever been. That is true. Statistically true. And you've only got to look into countries like China where some of the bitterest uh, persecution is taking place and many are coming to know the Saviour. It's a wonderful story. We need to have a wider vision sometimes. We need to broaden our horizons when we think about the work of the gospel. Well, that's what happened then in those days. And the news comes back to Jerusalem and they think, well, we need to investigate this. We need to learn a little bit more about what's happening there. Because there, there, there is no internet, there's no television, uh, there's no means of communication in the same way that we've got today. You can only come by word of mouth. So we better send somebody and they choose Barnabas. Dear, gentle Barnabas. And they send him to investigate what is happening in Syrian Antioch. And and that's our story tonight. Now, uh, I'm I'm going to use a little bit of imagination here. Uh, I I trust that you you will allow me to do that. Um, But something like this must have happened. Like I said, Antioch's about 300 miles away from Jerusalem, so it's not a journey that Barnabas can take there and back in a day. Far from it. Uh, I don't know how he travelled, it doesn't tell us. Probably by boat along the coast of what was then called Asia Minor. Um, But he arrives in Antioch and he's going to need to be accommodated, isn't he? So I, I imagine, in my mind, Barnabas arriving at Antioch and he's met by one of the believers who's going to conduct him to his lodging place. And so they make their way through the streets. And as they go, his friend says to Barnabas, you know, you see that, you see that man over there on his way to work? He's a Christian. Uh, and you see that woman, she's off to the shops now with her shopping basket. She's a Christian. And Barnabas is getting a wee bit puzzled by now because he has never, ever heard that term before. It's entirely new to him. Christian. Never heard it before. Uh, And you see that lad on his way to school. He's a Christian too. 
And Barnabas is puzzled and intrigued. Why are you called Christians now? Because they were first called Christians in Antioch. That's what the scripture tells us. Up to then, that was not a term that was applied to these people, uh, the Lord, the believers in the Lord Jesus. Now it is. They were called Christians first there. So Barnabas is puzzled and intrigued. How has this happened then? And so his friend begins to explain to him, well, we got here, uh, we, we, we fled Jerusalem because we were persecuted, we got here, and we began to speak to people about the Lord Jesus. And so they were saying to us, well, then, have you brought us a new religion? Uh, it's a place where there was plenty of religion, there, there were temples to Roman gods here and temples to Greek goddesses over there. Plenty of religion in Antioch, as there was in all the big cities of the known world. But this was a new one. This was a new message. Uh, and, and so, you know, the inhabitants are saying, well, have you brought us this new religion? What's it all about? Um, where are your temples? Because they were used to temples for religion, places they went to. To worship, we have no temples. They said we have no. We need no temples. We've got the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are living temples to Him. Well, well, um, where are your priests then? You know those who dress up in their fancy robes to conduct religious ceremonies. Where are they? We need no priests. We have one high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has made us all priests. And we don't need to dress up in fancy robes to do that. Well, uh, what about the sacrifices you offer? Because that's part of religion, isn't it? Offering sacrifices. What about your sacrifices? We need no sacrifices. There's been one sacrifice. Once and for all, the Lord Jesus died on the cross. He is our perfect sacrifice. We need no more sacrifices. It's all because of him, Jesus Christ. Well then, what about the idols? Surely, you know, you you have to bow down before idols to worship them. Surely that's got to be part of religion, isn't it? That's what religion's all about, isn't it? Worshipping statues and idols and so on. We've got them here. We've got them there. You can see them for yourselves. We need no idols. We worship no idols. We worship a living saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, Jesus Christ. They couldn't stop talking about Jesus Christ. And the inhabitants of that city said, we've got to give them a nickname then. And they called them Christians for the first time. Now, We are very familiar with the term. It's nothing new to us. uh, And so we're not surprised by it when people talk about Christians there because we've heard the term so often. It, It is in many ways a great pity that it's become so familiar because over the course of the centuries, the title Christian has become sadly very devalued. A lot of its significance has been completely lost. Uh, And it's become a meaningless term, alas, in so many situations. 
Uh, as you know, I've been to Myanmar, I go to Chin State. You look on Wikipedia and it will tell you that Chin State is 98% Christian. And you go there uh, 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 and you can see a chapel building here, you can see a church building there, wherever you look. Uh, uh, and, and things go on in those buildings, people gather together, but sadly there's no spiritual life. There, 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 there's no gospel preaching. There, there's, there's no belief in the Bible as the word of God, infallible, inerrant. That's the sad truth about Chin State. So it's a Christian state, but it's purely nominal, purely nominal. It's a consequence of great revival that took place at the end of the 19th century. But sadly, all that spiritual life has been lost by and large. My friends are a very tiny minority preaching the gospel and believing the word of God, the Bible. That's a sad thing. But it's not unknown. So sometimes, you know, our land is looked on as a Christian country. Well, we're um, sadly well aware it is far from being a Christian country. And every single day we are presented with evidence that it's far from being a Christian country. In, in the true sense of the word. Uh, and, and sadly, there are many people today... Uh, if you spoke to them, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, and they would refer perhaps to some ceremony they passed through when they were babies or, or whatever. Got a certificate to show that it's happened and so on. Um, they don't go to church. Um, they don't read the Bible. They don't pray. But they're Christians. There are those who've grown up in Christian families who believe that because their mum and dad were Christians, true Christians, that makes them Christians. I had to learn that lesson when I was a boy. Uh, and, and this is a great tragedy. Yeah, the term is used, and it's used widely, but it's lost all its significance. It's lost all its meaning. Uh, and... We have to ask ourselves the question tonight, am I a true Christian? And to get to the answer for that, we go back to this very chapter. What made these people call these immigrants from Jerusalem Christian? Because they lived and they breathed Jesus Christ. And they spoke about him constantly. He was everything to them. He was their life. That's why they were called Christians. And that is as good a definition of a true Christian as you'll get. Somebody who lives and breathes Jesus Christ. So, if you're asking yourselves, am I a Christian? Then it all hangs on this one thing. What is Jesus Christ to you? That's where you'll find the answer. That's where you'll find the true definition. Well, we can turn back. That's, I've, I've ventured into some imagination there. Uh, but let's get back to what the Bible does actually record. Uh, 
an anti- and Barnabas is presented with this in Antioch. Uh, and what is, what is his immediate conclusion? What is his immediate reaction as he sees what has happened for the cause of the gospel in that heathen city? Well, we read, don't we, that uh, when he had come, that's Barnabas, this is in verse 23, when he had come, he had seen the grace of God. I understood what this was all about. He understood this amazing consequence, this, this, this incredible impact of the Christian message upon these people that has so changed their outlook their whole lives and was beginning to have an impact on many, many others around them. This was all he could see immediately was the grace of God. That's what he saw. He understood. This is grace at work. This is undeserving sinners who've come to know they need Jesus Christ as saviour and cast themselves upon his mercy and it's all an act of grace, of loving kindness. He saw the grace of God at work. And that's a great joy, isn't it? You know, to see the grace of God at work in somebody. Uh, It's one of the great delights of being a Christian pastor when folk come to you and say, Pastor, I want to join the church, I want you to baptise me. And you say to them, well, what makes you want to do that? And you ask them their story and they tell you how God has met with them uh, and brought them to the Lord Jesus Christ and you see the grace of God at work in a changed life, a changed outlook, a changed viewpoint and a changed destination for them, the world to come, heaven. And it's the grace of God at work. And that's what Barnabas sees. He saw the grace of God. That was his Immediate conclusion. And so he saw that God in his great mercy, uh, he was reminded again of something he believed anyway, that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ as a saviour. The Holy Spirit had been at work in the lives and hearts of men and women and they had believed and they were saved and they were true Christians because it was Jesus Christ at the centre. And he rejoiced. And he was encouraged. Because that's what we need, isn't it? Encouragement. And against the background of bitter hostility, of lives that were being turned upside down because they had to leave their homes and livelihoods and families and so on and so forth. Against that background of aggression, hostility, hatred, persecution, the grace of God was at work. And then back, as he goes back, I can imagine he goes back to to Jerusalem. The apostles say, well, what's happened there? Tell us all about it. Oh, I saw the grace of God. I know you're suffering here. I know you've got hard times ahead. I know the persecution is going to... And one of your own prophets has said there's going to be a famine anyway. You've got worse to come, but you can be encouraged because the gospel has triumphed once again. 
Uh, and then Barnabas, that was his conclusion. Uh, Barnabas goes on then to minister to them, and this is what he says to them, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Carry on what you started. The word, it's not the best translation here in our version. The word actually is cleave, stick tight, hold on, grasp, and never let go. Like super glue. <laughs> you've, you've found Jesus Christ. Well, stick with him now. Life is not going to be easy. It never has been for Christians. You've got to stick with the Lord Jesus. Cleave to him with all your heart and soul. It seems in a, uh, on the face of it here that there might be two things that don't quite seem to fit together. Because Barnabas, on the one hand, has seen the grace of God. In other words, it's all been God's work. And the glory belongs to him alone and to the Lord Jesus Christ, their saviour. It's all their work. These men and women have not done anything in themselves that has brought them to this wonderful knowledge. They are now redeemed. They've been saved by grace. God's work, it's the grace of God. And to him alone belongs the glory. And yet there is still something for those who've come to discover this for them to do. There's got to be an activity on their part. There's got to be a response to it. That's always been the way where the gospel is preached. It is to remind us of the free grace of God to undeserving sinners. But it says you've got to respond in your heart. You've you've got to come in faith. You've got to cast yourself upon the mercy of God. You've got to do that. There's got to be a response. It's a two-way thing. They're not contradictory. They work together. God does it. The Holy Spirit does it. You respond and believe and trust. And so, now that's happened, Barnabas says to these new Christians in Antioch, now it's happened to you. You stick tight. Hold on. Don't give up. I'm, I'm reminded very often you see these nature programs, don't you? Uh, and maybe, maybe it's a program about the great apes and you see them swinging through the trees from one branch to another. Uh, and they've got a little one. Uh, and the little one is clinging on tight to its mother. Uh, and that little one depends on his his or her mother for everything, for its food, for its protection, for its safety, depends on his mother for everything. Because he doesn't have strength to look after himself or ability to look after himself or herself. But he's got to hang on tight, hasn't he? He's got to cling to his mum. So there he is, grasping tight. It's the same thing, isn't it? It's just an illustration from nature of what Barnabas means. You've come to faith, now hang on. Stick tight. Super glue. Because it's Jesus Christ always in the centre. It's always got to be like that. He's always got to be in the centre. So he's the one that you will turn to. Whatever. 
life may get very difficult, turn to him. Life, perhaps in the mercy of God, might be relatively comfortable for a time being. Turn to him. He's got to be in the centre and you've got to hang on to him. Cleave tight. Continue with the Lord Jesus Christ and how you do it. How do you do it? I think it's one of those things that we take as a red, really, don't we? We, you know, we, we, know, we know the theory of it as Christian people. And yet it's really surprising how easily we can get distracted away from it. It's surprising how easily we can start to look to other things and let them fill our lives. It can happen so easily, can't it? Before you know where you are, you've lost something of that hold, that trust, that confidence. Because you've maybe turned to the things of the world in one way or another. And they're good, the good things that God has provided for us. But they won't bring you to salvation. We thank God for them, every mercy. But they're not going to save your soul. It's only Jesus who can do that. But no, we get, we get hung up in it. And I think it's one of the particular dangers uh, in, in a land where, in the goodness of God, we are able to live in comparative comfort. You know, I've been in places, you will know about places, where for a Christian's life is extremely hard. But for us, it's relatively peaceful, isn't it? They're not, they're not going to drag you away when you come out of that door and take you off to uh, burn you uh, or put you to death in some awful, cruel, atrocious way. They're not going to do that. They're not going to knock on your door. The police are not going to knock on your door tomorrow and say, you're a Christian, come on, off to prison with you. Uh, and we can let that, I think, that relative ease um, sometimes divert us and distract us. Got to be so careful here. So what Barnabas said to them, I think he would say to us if he was here, he would say, stick tight, hold on, and do it with all heart and purpose. Purpose of heart. It's a heart thing we're talking about here. It's not a physical hanging on with these hands you've got. It's a heart thing. It is, it is, it is making sure that he, Jesus Christ, is at the centre of your heart, your inner being, the essential, essential person that you are. Every part of you, that of you, part of you which, which, which thinks, that part of you which chooses, that, that part of you which feels your emotional life, that part of you, this is a very simple definition of the human heart, but it's an effective one, the part of you that thinks, the part of you that chooses your will, the part of you that responds, either love or dislike, and your conscience. Those are what make up your personal, your heart. Jesus Christ has got to be at the centre of every single one of them. And you stick tight with him. So every day, in effect, is a Lord's Day. I know we call this day, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, but... Uh, the mark of a true Christian is every day is a Lord's day. 
Well, these folk began. It's good to begin. It's good to begin the life of a Christian by trusting the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Uh, And you, you believe that he who died on the cross died for you and took your sins away and rose on the third day for you. That's where you begin. It's a good thing to begin. I trust you have already begun. And then every day from then on, until you draw your last breath, it's still him, still him, and you still hang on to him. That, that's, that's what happened in Syrian Antioch. And we go back into the world tomorrow to face whatever. I don't know what you're looking forward to. Tomorrow is going to happen to you. Some of you will go back to work, perhaps. Uh, and your colleagues say, you might have a bit of a pop at you. What did you do? Yes, oh, you went to church. You, you foolish person. Fancy doing that. Um, and that's not easy, is it? Sometimes, or, yeah, there's no teenagers here, so not going back to school. But some young folk face that when they go back to school, don't they? Or, or your neighbours might say, did you have a good day yesterday? Uh, well, we went to church and we sang hymns and we heard the gospel. Oh, you poor, foolish, deluded folks. You know, it's, that's how it goes on, isn't it? That's when you have to stick tight, when the pressure's on to do that, to make sure that is the case. You've got to be like these folk where Jesus Christ is everything to you, where he is central to your life. Keep your hearts fixed on him. Keep your hearts fixed on him. We sang that just a few moments ago, didn't we, in that hymn of Gadsby's. All that my soul could love and praise him more, his beauties trace, his majesty adore, Live near his heart, upon his bosom lean, obey his voice, and all his will esteem. I think that's the heart of it, isn't it? That is the heart of it. May God give us grace so to do, to stick tight to him who is everything to us. Amen.